Hey everybody, this is Tom Salemi. Welcome to this episode of the Device Talks Weekly Podcast. This episode is focused entirely on diabetes. My colleague, Sean Hooley, Associate Editor at Mass Device, interviewed three of the principal players in diabetes. We talked with Kevin Sawyer, or Sean did, Kevin Sawyer, the CEO of Dexcom. He spoke with Jeffrey Brewer, the CEO of Bigfoot Biomedical, and Francine Kaufman, Dr. Francine Kaufman. She's the CMO of Sensionics. So we'll have three interviews for you in this episode of the Device Talks Weekly Podcast. Of course, we'll speak with Shacey Petrovic, CEO of Insulate, a little bit later this year at Device Talks Boston, which is happening on May 10th and 11th. Registration for Device Talks Boston is open. You can go to devicetalks.com to register and don't forget to use your code D. TW, that stands for Device Talks Weekly, DTW25, and you'll save 25% off the price of registration. You can use that same code on our Device Talks Minnesota registration. That'll open up next week, putting together that agenda, working on that agenda as well. We've got Kevin Lobo from Stryker as the keynote, Tom Poland of BD as a keynote, and many more are coming. So uh, don't wait on that one. Registration for Device Talks Minnesota opens up again next week. Before we begin this episode, I want to uh, bring in our sponsor, AccuMold, micro-injection molding and tooling shop. I spoke with Aaron Johnson. Aaron is the Vice President of Marketing and Customer Strategy at AccuMold. I'll play bits and pieces of my interview with Aaron throughout this episode. My first question to Aaron was, tell us about AccuMold. AccuMold basically is a micromolder is what we call it, uh, focused solely on micro-injection molding, thermoplastic components. We like to tell our customers we help them do more in the same space or more and less through plastic components. You think about the innovations today in med device, whether it's minimally invasive devices or wearable technology, uh, better patient care. A lot of that is contrived through miniaturization. And AccuMold is one of those enabling technologies to help our customers push the limits when it comes to the size and functionality of their device. We'll hear more from Aaron Johnson a little later in the podcast. Appreciate AccuMold sponsoring of this episode. If you want to find out more information about AccuMold, you can go to its website, that is accu-mold.com. Now let's get this episode started. Whoa, 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 stop the music. One little production note. Sean and I spoke on Thursday, and in our conversation, we'll talk about Sensionics awaiting FDA approval. Well, they got it. It came in on Friday, February 11th. So uh, when we say they're awaiting FDA approval, just uh, know that they got FDA approval. And if you want more details, Go to Sean's article on our drug delivery website. Let's go. All right, you ready for this? Ready. Well, Chris Newmarker, how are you, sir? Good to be here, Tom. How you doing, man? Good, good. You enjoyed a nice lunch, I heard. Yeah, had a nice little lunch today, you know. They you know, their uh, restrictions are getting lifted in Minneapolis, so it's, you know, good chance to up it a bit. So yeah, I yeah. can't complain. No, we'll see. We'll so hopefully we'll see the same in Boston soon. Of course we have our device talks Boston meeting in May and Minneapolis in June. So that's right. Let's hope this all works out. And we have on the line with us Sean Hooley, associate editor at Mass Device. Sean, hello. Hello. How's it going? 
Good, good. What's it like being a young, cool person at, in this time of COVID? Are you able to go out and, and have a nice time? I'm able to kind of walk the line of what's good and bad, but I'm still pretty cautious about everything. I mean, uh, there's definitely been some some times where I've been a little bit like, oh, man, I really wish uh, I wish it was 2019 again. But yeah, yeah. Well, hopefully we'll find find our way back there. I'm a homebody anyway, so. Well, that works out for all of us, doesn't it? Yes, as are we. Enjoying the joys of the home, you know, reading a book, you know, like watching good TV shows. That's right. A fine cigar, a dog at your feet. Hey, by the way, so, so, talking about TV shows, I mean, Tom and Sean, I'd be interested. What do you think of fake Luke Skywalker? Are we talking about, are we spoiling something or is this a Boba Fett? I haven't watched the final episodes of Boba Fett, which has been underwhelming. I wondered if we'd see another, another fake Luke Skywalker. Sorry. Spoiler alert, folks. Apparently we're spoiling. End of Boba Fett. I've not watched a minute of Boba Fett, but now that it's it's been spoiled and B, it's been said to not be very good. I'm all, I'm all set. Yeah. I kind of watched it. I watched the series and I was kind of like, well, you know, not very good. Like, how do you, ba- how do you make a, a boring series about Boba Fett? This is like, this is like Gladiator with Russell Crowe. How do you make a boring Gladiator movie? It's insane. I mean, I'm not a professional TV critic, but I, I would just throw in that I felt like they tried to make everyone happy. I think that's what it was. It was like, look, we've got a Wookiee. We've got a. <laughs> that was a look, badass Wookiee. Ev- yeah, it was a pretty cool Wookiee. Lucky. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, I did see fake Luke Skywalker on uh, The Mandalorian, and I thought that was awesome. Again, spoiler just alert. A little, just a little took... bit at the end. At yeah, the end yeah, of, yeah. Versus like when they tried to almost have a whole episode. Like this, I think it was like the second to last episode. Like oh, see, I haven't was, seen that one. So, but that's almost it. the whole one was fake Luke Skywalker. Like oh, they, interesting. Okay, all right. Doing shots, lots of shots of him at a distance. <laughs> I wonder why. <laughs> <laughs> animators are like like can finally get a break you know <laughs> well we are off the rails here so why not okay. ask the question like why how long was boba fett in the damn sarnak for christ's sake like 20 years i mean i don't understand like yeah whole- i mean i think he had a whole room in there yeah, hopefully <laughs> he opened a starbucks in the sarnak i think he had disney plus i think he had That's disney right. plus in there <laughs> <laughs> Get great receptions in Starnax. Not springing for HBO, though. Yeah. No, yeah. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> uh, was like, <laughs> uh, I want HBO, darn it. All right. I think that's enough okay. uh, commentary wow. on social events in this podcast yes. episode. Chris Newmarker, I believe you've compiled a, a list for us of, uh, of yes. newsmakers. What should we yes, call this list? Real, real news. Uh, the Newmarker's Newsmaker. There we go. Yeah. All right, uh, let us go into to number five. Well, number five on the list, we've got, uh, you know, Amazon Care is uh, expanding uh, nationwide. So, I mean, uh, Amazon's getting like more and more into the health provider business. Um, you know, they're making their virtual health services available across the country. And uh, they're uh, expanding for a large rollout of in-person uh, services. So, you know, kind of really, uh, I mean, any, you know, you know, a lot, a lot of people turned to telehealth during the pandemic and Amazon's obviously betting that this is here to stay. And, you know, while you're, uh, you know, getting, buying more cat food or uh, <laughs> paper towels or whatnot, like, you'll like, you know, maybe I should get that sore throat checked out. You know, you'll go do that too. Sean, Sean Hula, you, you wrote this up. Uh, any, any takeaways from, uh, from Amazon's growth? 
It's interesting. It scares me a little just because Amazon. Yeah, <laughs> that was going to my question. Are you excited or terrified? Amazon is a little bit terrifying, but no, I mean, <laughs> on the surface, it seems good. So um, it seems like an, an interesting kind of leap and uh, I don't know, definitely intrigued by what Amazon can do in the healthcare space. So, and I'm with you, John, I'm straddling the two. And, uh, but I do have to say Amazon's bookstore, we have one nearby and something about it. It's really, really, it's a good experience. I enjoy oh, wow. going in there. I feel bad. I feel bad because I want to be support the local stores, but just the way they lay it out. I don't know. Amazon's got some, some algorithm. They figured it out. So I'm kind of, I'm excited to see what they can they do in healthcare. The bookstore. Yeah. I mean, you know, I mean, I mean, definitely it's, it's generous to say that we have a U.S. healthcare system. Like, so any, any, right. Is seeing any big player coming in and trying to do something different. Um, yeah. I mean, if they, if they can make things better for people, more power to them. Yeah. It's more like a healthcare Congress where everyone has their own jurisdictions and representation and they like to fight a lot. So, well, the, the economics are, are like a Rubik's cube. I mean, it's got, you know, you got the providers, you got all these payers, you got, you know, you got people like, you know, selling stuff to the providers and trying to get the payers to cover it. Oh, and but then and then there's the actual people, the patients that are actually on the receiving end of all this. You know, so, yeah. Oh, Chris, Sean is in his 20s, so he's not going to know what a Rubik's Cube is. Come on. Let's let's try to. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's true. It's dated guys, myself. You, you guys are dating me a little bit too much forward. I know what a Rubik's Cube is. Yeah, come on. Give Sean a little. Come on. <laughs> I can't do one, but she I know what it is. Some. I, mean, I can't do a Rubik's Cube either. I, I mean. got one side once, and I was pretty happy about that. All right. You got a side, Tom? You got a side? Oh, I did oh get a gosh. side, but never two. Let us roll on to number four on the new Marcus Newsmakers. Number four on the list, we've got uh, Thermo Fisher launching a uh, PCR testing platform that detects COVID-19 pathogens in the air. So you can basically like take air samples and run it through this uh, the system and you know find out if there's uh, COVID in the air. Um, really interesting. I wonder I wonder if this is going to become widespread. Sean, any uh, any takeaways from the story? Yet another Sean Hooley special. Yeah, well, it was interesting. You know, my first thought when I saw kind of the headline was, you know, I can't believe this is kind of wild. But obviously, they kind of stress that it's not for really diagnostic purposes. I think it's more to be used to kind of analyze maybe the spread behind it and how it kind of works. I think more because if you've got a, a concert or something mm-hmm. and you use this and you detect COVID in the air, well, what are you going to do? Stop it and tell everyone to go home. Right. <laughs> you know, that type of thing. I don't, I don't think it's so much for that, which was my first kind of instinct. Maybe that's just why maybe maybe that's my lack of understanding. But yeah, it, it's still a, it's a pretty cool thing. Hopefully it kind of helps us figure out what's going on because we're two years into this and we still don't really know. It's going to be interesting about the timing is, is you know, we have the uh, the poop test that we see so many graphs about and measuring the uh, yeah. the sewage and you can see the levels oh, of yeah. COVID in there. Maybe this will be a, a long-term measure where you can kind of see the ups and downs or, or maybe there will be like a, a COVID alarm that goes off, like exit the building, COVID has been detected and we can have those go off at two o'clock in the morning. That'd be great. COVID, COVID, COVID. <laughs> yeah, that sounds great. In the yeah. living room, COVID in the living room. You know, the uh, sewage test, I read an article in the um, New York Times that uh, like w- was a bit disturbing that they, I guess there's all these weird variants that they found in the uh, New York City sewage that no person has walked into a clinic with it. One of the, and one of the top theories is that's the rats. The rats are getting COVID and they got their own little stuff going on. Well, folks, times. let's end the podcast on that note. <laughs> yeah. Everyone go Thanks for joining it. us on Device Talks Weekly. Everyone could crawl under their bed now. Uh, make sure you share that story with the kids at dinner. Yeah, that's right.
<laughs> after watching Ratatouille. That's right. There you go. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Everyone, time here. We're going to take a quick break to bring back our sponsor, Acumold. I'm speaking with Aaron Johnson. Aaron, you mentioned micromolding before. What is micromolding? That's a great question because there really isn't a textbook definition of what micromolding exactly is. It's an injection molding process. You still have to have a mold and open and close, uh, you know, a way to open and close the mold, a way to get the material in there. So in a general sense, you know, it is molding, but we've come to define micromolding in one of three ways. Uh, certainly size is a big part of the definition. When you talk about micro, you know, parts that are under a centimeter, even under a millimeter. So, so, so size is certainly part of the definition, but so is micro in features. Uh, uh, we mold uh, some larger parts, say two or three inches in size, but there's a, a, a micro feature to it, like a microfluidic channel per se, or, or for example, um, that you know is part of drug delivery or some kind of diagnostic device. The overall form factor is larger, but the feature sizes are very, very small. And the third way we really come to define micromolding is uh, micro intolerance. Uh, some of the projects that we've worked on, especially in micro optics, have plus or minus two or three microns in position. Tolerance. So you're dealing with extreme tolerances um, of those features. So it, you know, it goes kind of beyond maybe uh, a traditional uh, approach to injection molding. So micro in size, micro in features, micro intolerance is usually one, in some cases, all three of those when it comes to how we define what true micro molding is. Excellent. We'll have Aaron Johnson back in just a few minutes on this episode of Device Talks Weekly. For more information about Acumold, go to www. Accu, A-C-C-U dash mold, M-O-L-D dot com. All right, Sean. So you wandered uh, far ar- across the, uh, the diabetes universe to uh, talk to, uh, to three of the uh, principal companies in this space. So let's start with uh, one of the largest, uh, Dexcom. You spoke with Kevin Sayer, its CEO. You've spoken with him before on the podcast. And uh, what has uh, Dexcom been reporting lately? And uh, what are we going to hear from Kevin Sayer? Yeah, so I, I caught up with uh, Kevin Sayer after their presentation at the J.P. Morgan Healthcare Conference, and uh, we, we basically, you know, the the thing everyone wants to talk about is the the G7, the next generation uh, continuous glucose monitor CGM, because mm-hmm. awaiting FDA approval. You know, there's kind of been there have been some delays on that front for everyone, uh, and and they're they're eager for for it to happen. They're they're ready, and uh, you know they've done all their submissions and stuff, so they're just waiting on it. But um, yeah, we also we got into that a lot, but we also got into uh, some of the other things that Dexcom's working on, including some different offerings and platforms. And, and Kevin Sayer told me that it's a year in which we'll see a lot of activity from the from the company. So he, he seems pretty excited. Yeah. And in the interview, uh, Kevin Sayer seemed uh, really pleased with uh, the company's performance over the past year. And uh, as you indicated, uh, there's more to come. So uh, let's hear from Kevin Sayer, the CEO of Dexcom. I think the overall theme here, first of all, we had another great year in 2021 with 27% revenue growth up, up to almost $2.5 billion, which is a lot of growth over $500 million in revenue. Our patient base has expanded 39% from what we disclosed last year. And we define our patient base by active users, not by all the people that have tried the system. We really try and monitor the active use of the system that. So that's a, a very real number. We achieved operating leverage on the bottom line. Our gross margins were 300 basis points higher than they were the year before. And again, more profitable during a time when as a company to increase access, we've purposely 
and thoughtfully decrease our annual revenue per patient across several market segments to grant more access to our consumers. So a year where we executed very well. And so those are those results. We talked a lot about a couple of products on that presentation. Our Dexcom One product is a product that we launched for the first time in at the end of 2021, a G6 hardware platform, but the software experience is much different. And we launched that as a e-commerce platform only and cash pay product in those countries with pretty good results so far. We're giving the community a second option to pick from. It doesn't have all the features of our G series product. For example, it won't connect to an insulin pump or you can't share the data with others who want to follow your data, but it is a good experience for an individual and it's very easy to use. And we look at that as a really good expansion opportunity for us, particularly in foreign markets going forward over the next while. And then, you know, my favorite part, because I'm a geek, we talked about our G7 system that'll be coming out next year. We are waiting approval in Europe. It should be forthcoming relatively soon. And then we, we filed this with the FDA and are under review with the FDA as well. So some really good announcements for us yesterday. It was a good day. Definitely. I, I know uh, with G7, you were asked in the Q&A portion if you had a timeline. I know you said no timeline yet. You don't want to guess on anything, but, but hopefully. Well, soon. a lot of those things are out of my hands now. You know, the timeline, we can control our ability to manufacture the product, our ability to control the supply chain and get the components that we need to build the product. Those things we're controlling and managing very, very strongly can't manage the regulatory agencies. And as I've learned over many years in this industry, their sense of urgencies is never the same as mine. So we'll keep doing what everybody asks and try and get the product through. So I don't, don't have timeline and we are very ready. You know, we have a lot of G6 capacity here and we'll have enough G7 capacity as well. So it's not like we're going to be without the best product in the market. We will be with either one of them. We just want it to be G7 because it really is a, a much better experience over time. You know, before we get to kind of the data you, you talked about yesterday, just uh, what are kind of the things that set G7 apart as far as I know it's different in size, comfort, things like that? Well, the wear experience is really where, where you start and the simplicity of using it. It literally, uh, and we've shown this now, you unscrew a cap and put it on your body, push a button and you're done and then pair it with your phone and you're off to the races. The use factor of the product is much more simple and that will enable us to expand to more users. It'll, it'll get them engaged very quickly. The warm-up period is only 30 minutes. In the past, our warm-up period was two hours. And many of our customers have often quoted this statement, those are the worst two hours of my month or my, my week, however long our sensors are lasting because you're without data for a couple hours. And so that half hour warm up is going to be a really good thing for our customers. For the environment, there's there's much fewer materials, it's much smaller. The smaller packaging is is also good on the distribution channel side because you you know, you don't have to take as much shelf space up particularly in the drugstore, which pharmacy being our, our our future channel. This is a global launch for us. You know, we typically have launched and most of our offerings US first get it going in the U.S., get it all going, and then move overseas. We're doing it all at the same time this time. I, I think our community will appreciate that a lot. And obviously, we're not going to every country or U.S. in the beginning, but we're going to several of our larger markets very early in the process. 
the app is different. It gives you some of the information and some of the trends in the app rather than having to go to our second system, Clarity, which is a system that analyzes data as well. So all in all, I, it is, it's a much different experience than G6. It will be a while before it connects with our partners on the automated insulin delivery side, simply because we have to get our product approved before they can finally get theirs approved. They are working with us now to get those connections up and running, and you'll see it in tandem and Insulet, hopefully you know, not too long after we launch. But Insulet's got to get their G6 system out, and they're awaiting an approval, hopefully sometime in the first, you know, soon this year. And once it comes out, that will, again, provide another market opportunity for us and Insulet together uh, to grow. You know what? It's got a lot of uh, wonderful features. And long-term, it will be cheaper for us to build. It was designed for manufacturing, so it's going to be a great product. Yeah, and I know, you know, with the data you presented, JP Morgan, a lot of emphasis on time and range that that seemed to be the centerpiece of it anyway. So you could sort of maybe just explain what time and range is and and why the data was so important. Well, let's go back. The G7 data, this was a clinical study, and what this was just pointing out is how accurate the system is. Uh, and, And, you know, when people stick their fingers in the past, that blood finger stick, those things used to be, I believe, around 6% accurate versus a laboratory instrument. 5 to 6%, I think, is the number in those studies. I don't have that at my fingertips. We have taken a CGM path over time. Our data way back in the beginning days when I started here was in the mid-teens, mid to upper teens, as far as if you compared a Dexcom reading to a blood glucose draw. Well, with G7, we're now... 8% accurate, 8% MARD mean average relative difference. That's pretty close to what finger sticks have been. And that gives patients and, and our customers an opportunity to really make accurate decisions, not only for insulin delivery, but as they use our sensor for other things regarding lifestyle or the foods they eat. You know, even those who are on insulin, when you eat a meal uh, that drives your glucose through the roof, you'll go, well, maybe I ought to not do that again. And the accuracy of that data becomes very important. On the time and range front, and this applies to G6 as well, but it'll be even more applicable to G7. We have time and range data right built into the app, for example, for people. But time and range is really a good health measure. Right now, A1C is the measure used often by healthcare professionals to determine how well your diabetes management is doing or if you're in a pre-diabetic situation, how severe is your pre-diabetes and when do you cross the line? And that's a 90-day average, but you don't see anything that goes on during the course of a day. And you may have an A1C that looks good, but you may be having glucose that's out of control. And I showed two slides, a slide in my presentation at JP Morgan is somebody with type 2 diabetes, where the average type 2 person sticks their finger once a day. It's kind of standard of care there. And I watched my mom and my grandfather do that. And I watched both of them die from diabetes complications as well. But you stick your finger every morning. And if it says 100 or 125 or whatever, yeah, I'm good. Well, you go throughout the course of the day, those people can be above 180, which is the upper end of the ADA time and range guidelines for multiple hours at a time. And that time that you're high causes horrible complications over time if you're high all the time. And the only way you to make the proper changes in your life is to know that those types of events are happening. And in one study I talked about by one of our partners, WellDoc, WellDoc had people on sensors for 24 weeks 
And the average uh, time in range for these patients and their type 2 patients not on insulin increased by three hours by wearing CGM. A three-hour increase, you can start doing health economic and math equations, leads to complications not coming or being delayed for several years. And for their patients who spent had an average glucose above 180, which is above the time in range mark, the average person after this 24-week study who started with average glucose above 180, they brought their average glucose down 54 points. And this type of information leads to dramatic changes in lifestyle, drug regimes, and, and exercise. We think it'll be a very important tool in the type 2 side, as it already is in the type 1. So altogether, that data combined with all the features you talked about earlier just combines for what you think is uh, going to be a real, real great product, real great offering? Yeah, we think it will be a really good product offering. We're, we're, look, we're, we're very happy with our, our portfolio. Our G6 has been the premier product for a long time and still remains that with its connectivity and our operability and its performance. But when we set down the G7 path, we wanted to make everything better. And we have. So talked a bit about a product called Dexcom One, Sean, which is one we launched in Europe. And it's basically our first effort to make a software solution, a product differentiator. We've taken the G6 hardware platform and written a different app that literally takes some of the features out of our G series and makes it easier to use. Cash pay product only over our e-commerce platform for countries. And then, you know, in the time that we've launched at 1% of the insulin users, mealtime insulin users in those countries have purchased the system and two of the governments now want to reimburse it. Given the rate that we're charging, we brought the cost down as well. So we believe we're going to have a product portfolio with a great on-body and hardware experience and then offer a number of software solutions to patients over time to best manage the condition that they're trying to manage. Yeah, and so just slightly moving from the G7, I know one of the biggest bits of news from Dexcom in the last year was the partnering on real-time APIs with Garmin. And I wondered if you could kind of explain why that was such a a big deal and, and what sort of that means for the future of these types of partnerships and, and the developments in that area? Oh, you, you bet. I'm happy to. And, and credit to Garmin for being the first to go. We've come to the realization that not everybody wants to take their CGM data the way we want to offer it up, that there might be a better way to get it or a better place to see it. And, and Garmin's a perfect example. You know, People use their Garmin watches the ability to get that data directly on your Garmin watch is very valuable to them. And it's not data that's shared with the phone. It's not a Bluetooth connection phone to watch. It's data that goes to the cloud and comes back. You know, it comes to our live APIs to, to Garmin directly and they display it the way that they want to and ingest it the, the way that they want. We believe this unlocks other partnerships as well. There's a company called SugarMate, for example, that's owned by Tandem that now has the live APIs. And They have a a reasonable number of users, but they like to see their CGM data a little different than the way that we present it. So we partnered with them on the live API side. And while they run the Dexcom app, they can see their data in another place. And giving people the opportunity, as long as they give us permission to share their data and use another app, is a great thing. And I think you'll see more of this. I, I think there are other opportunities with other companies going forward where this may work. 2022 holds uh, about more activity than we've ever seen in a given year. A G7 launch OUS and in the US, continued expansion of the Dexcom One product line into the other geographies to give 
uh, you know, the, our customers more choices, uh, continued development of the data platform and sharing data with, with others. We are working, for example, with Epic on the medical record side to try and get our data directly into patients' medical records, you know, seamlessly from the cloud. Again, with the API interfaces, you've got an Omnipod 5 launch from Insulet coming in 2022 that we're very excited for. We've worked with Insulet for a very long time. And the hope of an integrated product for our combined Insulet Dexcom users is something that's been driving them forever. So we're very excited about that launch. Tandem's making progress on, they had an R&D day recently. They have a new pump called T-Sport, which is a smaller, different type offering. We're hopeful we can see some new product developments out of that partner as well and some of the other insulin delivery relationships that we have as far as connectivity. More data on the type two side and really we published a study last year called Mobile. This is a study where we took basal-only insulin users and put them on CGM. You know, oftentimes we have been lumped into a category. This product is only for people who have intensive insulin use needs that other people with diabetes don't need it. And we, we put it on the basal insulin use and using patients. And the results were exactly the same as they are for the intensive insulin users. Significant A1C drops, significant time and range improvement, healthier, happier people who are in better control. And using this, this study, and then based on the results of this study, the ADA improved their guidance as far as continuous CGM use for basal insulin patients and, and recommended it. They gave the evidence an A grade. They say there's very good evidence for using continuous CGM with basal insulin. So we would like to you know, explore and continue to push that market. I think in 2022, and every year we're all about increasing access to CGM technology. You know, it's interesting over the past five years, we've doubled the population of people in the United States who can have access to Dexcom technology and have it reimbursed. And our penetration within that reimbursed category hasn't changed. It's still, you know, it's, there's still a long ways for us to grow. And we've learned that increasing access is really the key to our growth on a worldwide basis. So you'll see us try things in several international markets to increase access for people to make it easier for them to get like the Dexcom One product. And we continue to push for access uh, increases here in the US. And once we get coverage, it's not just getting coverage, it's making it easier and easier for physicians to write the prescription and easier for patients to get it. So 2022 is gonna be a year of many of the same activities, but some very big advances on the product front. And then, you know, once we get the hardware platforms out there, what we're hopeful is we can then start coming up with several software solutions that are just going to be different than what we've had in the past. It's going to be a fun year. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for, for taking the time and, and giving me all that info. That was great. Well, and, and, you know, as fun as that year is going to be, as my people tell me in my own, you know, how you get evaluations. They always tell me you're not very good at celebrating. You always want to push. We need to recognize what a great year uh, this company has had really the past two years. During these trying times, we've grown a bit, almost a billion dollars in revenue in two years when the world has been nearly at a standstill. That's awfully, awfully amazing. So it's been a great time period for us. So we just, I can't wait for things to get back to normal, Sean. I need to get out and talk to people. I'm really tired of, of not. And just as I thought the curtain was coming up and I was going to go out and be with folks. Now we're, now we're back again. And this new bug appears to be 
a lot more aggressive than the old one. Yeah, we, we have some conferences planned for the year. We'll see how that goes, but uh, hopefully, hopefully things can get back to normal. <laughs> Thank you so All much. All right. Chris Newmarker, let us roll into number three on the Newmarker's Newsmaker. Yes, number three. On, I think we, yes, number three on the list. We, uh, you know, this was like breaking news, uh, you know, you know, at uh, right after market close on Friday that uh, HeartFlow's uh, SPAC deal has been, uh, been called off. SPAC attack. SPAC attack. This is like end of SPAC attack. <laughs> like, you know, they, they were saying this was a mutual decision. They were uh, talking, saying that this with uh, Longview Acquisition Corp saying this was a result of current unfavorable market conditions. It, it definitely seems like the markets have been on a bit of a roller coaster in, uh, in recent weeks. So um, it'll be interesting to see if this is a... Uh, if, if this is a trend that, you know, some of these SPAC deals that have still been in the works are going to start getting called off. But um, yeah, $2.4 billion deal that was announced in July, 2021. And it is, uh, it is over. It was interesting. When I talked to Leslie Trigg at Outset Medical, they went public the good old fashioned way. And yeah. I asked her about SPACs and I, I kind of thought she would, I, I half expected her to say, oh, well, you know, we really preferred going the uh, the traditional IPO route. But she's she was in favor of SPACs, and she's actually sitting on the board of a SPAC. So uh, they're still obviously viable vehicles, but uh, they're not foolproof, I guess. And Heartflow is a great company. Yeah. Yeah, they've got some really uh, interesting tech, like this uh, uh, FFRCT analysis, you know, using AI, you know, creating a personalized 3D heart model. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, specs off, but we'll, we'll see what they do next. All right, Sean, next up, we have Jeffrey Brewer. He's the CEO of Bigfoot Biomedical, and he has uh, quite a story to tell. Tell us about uh, about that conversation. Yeah, uh, I got to speak with him for the first time uh, and learn more about what he calls uh, Bigfoot's transformational attempt to simplify CGMs uh, with an all-in-one platform uh, that includes a smart insulin pen cap. Uh, It it was an interesting conversation. He's really passionate about diabetes care. It's very personal to him, as as you'll learn uh, with his family and and his son uh, being diagnosed with type 1 diabetes. So it it was interesting to hear uh, what he had to say about what what you may consider a new, different approach in the space to some of the traditional things we've talked about before. That's great, Sean. So I know you opened up your interview asking how Jeffrey Brewer became CEO and founded Bigfoot Biomedical. So uh, let's hear from uh, Jeffrey Brewer. Uh, I'm involved in uh, Bigfoot and focused on the problem we're solving, which is how to support insulin delivery in the safest and, and easiest way. Because my son was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes about 19 years ago, going on 20 years ago now. Before that, I was a dot-com entrepreneur, and, and um, my life has, uh, since that time, however, revolved very much around diabetes and uh, an effort to see that technology was better employed in order to improve the quality of my son's life, and uh, as I've found millions of other people who are dependent upon insulin to live on a daily basis. Uh, I got very involved with the Juvenile Diabetes Research Foundation. Uh, where I was on the board of directors and and gave a gift that started what became the artificial pancreas project, which was the idea to take an insulin pump and a continuous glucose monitor, uh, tie those two together with algorithms that would use the data from the CGM in order to drive insulin delivery, or else algorithms that would support insulin dosing through injections. Saw there was a big opportunity to use data, uh, use technology in order to help people make this decision of how much insulin to take, which uh, they have to do on a daily basis, and which is very high stakes. 
uh, actually was asked to be the uh, short-time uh, CEO of uh, JDRF when uh, there was a gap in leadership. I, I was asked to stand in for uh, 60 or so days, and that ended up being a four-year gig where uh, I was the CEO of JDRF and, and had a wonderful opportunity to uh, lead that organization. Also get really familiar with the FDA and had an opportunity uh, through JDRF advocacy efforts to influence on behalf of patients the way the FDA thinks about these technologies that use data and software and algorithms and cloud systems and consumerized design in order to make uh, tools more accessible to more people that would help support their insulin dosing on a daily basis. However, I left that in 2014 and partnered with a, uh, a father of a child with type 1 diabetes, a gentleman named Brian Maslis, who actually has a wife with type 1 as well notable for being the first person in the world to hack into an insulin pump and a continuous glucose monitor and enable a do-it-yourself uh, closed-loop system for insulin dosing. Um, he uh, did that himself about uh, six years before there was any such product available in the general marketplace and, and uh, basically turned my uh, attention to the opportunities uh, as an entrepreneur that I might be able to pursue uh, and then doing so with him to uh, see what we could add to the equation in terms of industry and, and how you can take technologies and, and make them usable and easy and, and ultimately to make life more convenient and easy and safe for people with insulin requiring diabetes. We've been on this journey for about seven years now. And uh, really happy to say after developing a number of technologies that we intend to deploy uh, across the spectrum of people who are dependent upon insulin on a daily basis, we've launched our first system, the Bigfoot Unity system, a transformational attempt to, to simplify CGM and data and basically getting people to the answer of how much insulin they should take at a given point in time. People don't want data. They want to know what to do and, and how to stay safe. And, and that's what... Bigfoot Unity does. It's a revolutionary smart cap, uh, smart pen cap solution that, that right there on the insulin pen takes the data from a continuous glucose monitor and tells you how much insulin to take. It is the first and only of its kind here in the United States. And uh, we think it really points uh, the way forward in terms of the consumerization of healthcare. It's a great example of, of how you can make something simpler and easier and more accessible to a large and heterogeneous population of people. And that includes type two diabetes as well as type one diabetes. So we're at a meaningful inflection point here where we've just launched this system and we're seeing some great uh, adoption. Uh, we have a couple dozen clinics prescribing it to a couple hundred patients. And we're seeing some really big uh, changes in those people's lives reported by them that it's making their lives easier and, and they're really happy with the support to have a partner in this journey with diabetes. Yeah, that was one of the things I definitely wanted to get into was Bigfoot Unity. It's definitely, you know, sort of the company's main offering. So I guess just if you could even explain further, you know, what, what are the features, what makes it so convenient, usable and, and, and helpful to, for managing diabetes? Well, a couple things. Um, we have thought about this as a complete solution that's very holistically designed for all the pieces to fit together. So it's not a smart pen added to a CGM, uh, added to uh, an app, added to cloud systems that capture data and provide it to clinicians. It, it's really all of those things and delivered under a single umbrella. Everything comes in a single box 
it, it is the most consumerized that uh, certainly diabetes medical device has ever been in, in that it's simple, all-inclusive. It is trained by Bigfoot. It is supported by Bigfoot. It's not a bunch of pieces provided by different companies with different apps and different instruction manuals. It's a holistically designed system that it is meant to be easy to access for a wide range of people who are, for unfortunate reasons, now dependent upon this drug insulin to stay alive on a daily basis. So everything comes in one box. It's trained as one piece. We're not selling a smart cap. We're selling a solution. So everything but the drug itself uh, provided by Bigfoot. And, and we're, we're doing it in a way that makes it seem more like a service offering than it is a purchase of a medical device. We're not selling a gadget. We're providing an ongoing experience and support for this person in their journey on insulin therapy, which means, for instance, if uh, they are switched from one brand of insulin to another because we support uh, all of them in the U.S. marketplace, then we're just going to send them the new pen cap that fits with the insulin pen from the new manufacturer. Uh, this is something that's actually quite common in that payers are now the determinant of what brand of insulin a person is using. Uh, when my son was younger and in the home, we used to get a letter from the insurance company saying, you know, we've negotiated a better deal with Eli Lilly or uh, Nova Nordisk or Sanofi, and therefore you're going to be taking this insulin from now on if you want us to pay for it. Well, that happens to about a third of patients every year uh, that they get switched. We're basically making that a seamless process for clinician and for patient to basically send them the new tools they need to work with that particular type of insulin, to auto-supply all the glucose test strips and lancets, the needles that go on the end of the insulin pen, even the alcohol swabs that they use uh, or don't use to prick their finger or uh, mount a CGM. Basically looking at all the aspects of the experience and collapsing them together so there's fewer moving pieces, uh, one company that stands behind it all, and that is uh, uh, going to make it usable, more trainable by a broader population of people because it's just simpler. Now, we also have, uh, from the standpoint of the clinician, an equally uh, purposeful presentation. The clinician has a different set of needs. And so our uh, uh, tools for them, called Clinic Hub, are geared towards managing a large population of patients that are using Bigfoot Unity. So not just the one person's experience, but dozens or hundreds of people uh, are using the therapy. And it's designed to take all the data that is captured by these devices automatically, the insulin uh, dose times, the glucose readings, whether they be blood glucose monitor or CGM every minute of the day, collapse all the information in a very digestible fashion and add value to it ver with analytics that, that help point the clinician to the right answer in terms of how to modify that therapy and then actually make the changes in the interface and push those directly out to a patient, basically enabling the clinician to be more of a partner on an ongoing basis without requiring them to come into the office uh, or even to uh, talk to them on, through a Zoom uh, session or a phone call. It can happen asynchronously. This is going to be a, a better way to leverage their time and ability to support the patient and also just add a more scalable option for the therapy in that clinic. Yeah, you, you've obviously, as you said, you've been involved in this from the business aspect for several years, but you've been doing it on a personal level, watching someone manage diabetes for, for 20 years, like you said. I guess from your perspective, how far has diabetes tech come and, and how far, I guess, are companies like your own trying to take it now? 
Well, in some ways, I, I think it's come a long way. Companies like Bigfoot exist, and, and we brought a product to market. It is uh, a result of uh, a lot of uh, effort by dozens of people over many years to conceive of and, and give birth to a new and simpler approach to uh, insulin therapy. However, I have to say that in other ways, things haven't changed a lot. Uh, most people who are on insulin shots literally get, not most, almost all people on insulin shots get a piece of paper that, that tells them the instructions for how to dose insulin. The high-tech version of that is take a picture of it on your iPhone so you don't have to carry the paper around. A set of instructions that require calculations that require a person to understand how insulin works and that it, it takes 20 minutes to start working. It doesn't peak for an hour and then has a three-hour tail. So uh, when you're using it, you have to be careful not to over-insulize treating a high glucose reading. All of that complexity, uh, just like my son uh, got that piece of paper or we got it as his parents in 2002, that's still here. So that's what we're really trying to displace. There, there is absolutely no reason that there shouldn't be a digitized experience uh, that takes continuous glucose monitor data, turns it into here's what to do based on the, the doctor's instructions. And, and that's what we're bringing. And uh, unfortunately, not enough people have access to tools like that yet, but we're, we're trying to change that. So as far as Bigfoot, you know, something I always like to ask is what's next. You can never predict it, but you know, uh, any other sort of products, ideas, you know, what, what kind of plans or expectations do you have going forward? Well, our learnings uh, uh, lead us to believe that there needs to be uh, a range of different options for different parts of the insulin using population. So people with type 1 diabetes, about a third of those folks are using pumps, which are going to increasingly uh, be closed loop systems that are using data in order to partially automate insulin delivery. Those are going to be an important part of the ecosystem. We have developed such a system internally and we'll be taking that forward into the marketplace in the future. That's, that's going to be for some people, mostly type one. Uh, then there's uh, shots and multiple daily injection, intensive insulin therapy, type one and type two. That needs another solution, which we uh, have called Bigfoot Unity. Bigfoot autonomy, by the way, is what we call our uh, pump-based system. And then there's a need for people with type 2 diabetes when they're beginning their journey on insulin, which the first step is usually a once-a-day or twice-a-day basal insulin that they take. Uh, Bigfoot Certainty is a product uh, we're developing to uh, address that need. So all these different folks are at a different stage uh, of their journey, different stage in type 2 diabetes with regard to progression of the disease. Uh, different preferences in terms of whether they want to wear a pump, uh, whether they want to give injections and have a little more distance physically from uh, the disease. All of that means different people have different needs and there need to be different solutions. So we, we plan to provide different solutions over time. And, and Bigfoot Unity is the one that's uh, first to market. And where we think, frankly, uh, the largest uh, unaddressed need is um, because there's nothing that many of our patients could be able to use besides CGM by itself in some cases, which doesn't actually make as big of a difference if you can't take the data and make decisions based on it to give yourself different amounts of insulin. This is one of the things that's challenging. Um, CGM is amazing and transformative, but it only provides data. And so if a person can't incorporate all that data and make the decisions and calculations about insulin, then it's, it's really a lost opportunity for them, which is what we're trying to remedy by layering on top 
well, the data is one thing, but what do I do with the data is another and be in partnership with that person in order to make those decisions. Great. Yeah, well, that's really all I have. I don't know if there's anything, you know, you thought you might touch on that you wanted to touch on. But other than that, yeah, really appreciate you taking the time and telling me all about Bigfoot. Well, one thing I might talk about uh, further, our business model, which is, I think, as innovative as is the product itself. You know, I, I talked about the, the tools for the patients that they carry around that help them uh, literally to determine how much insulin to take and when on a daily basis and throughout the day. I talked about Clinic Hub, the tools that supports clinicians in, in the management uh, of those patients. But one of the other uh, aspects of innovation is how we're having it reimbursed or, or rather how we're enabling clinicians to be reimbursed for not only the solution we're providing, but for the time and effort they spend to support patients. So remote physiologic monitoring is now a, a big trend in the reimbursement landscape. And what it is, is a class of CPT codes that are billable by clinicians that were intended to facilitate treatment of chronic disease by gathering data and, and actually helping people to live better with a chronic disease. It was spearheaded in cardiac and COPD, and now we're bringing it to diabetes. And it really applies perfectly to what we're doing because we're helping people to make decisions about insulin. We're tracking the decisions they make, the glucose values that ensue based on those decisions. And then we're getting all that information back to the clinician through the tools that we provided. That enables them to make the tweaks uh, to insulin settings that are necessary because it's a very personalized therapy. So this feedback loop of generating data, clinician support for the patients, seeing how that goes, and then looking at the data in the future, this whole cycle is reimbursed by the remote physiologic monitoring codes. So way we're going to market is to actually contract with clinics, healthcare systems, or even individual independent providers for what becomes a service to them that, that we bill for on a per patient per month basis. And then they handle all the reimbursement uh, and they make the decisions with regard to what patients are appropriate for the therapy and, and how they support those patients. So we're, we're uh, a business partner now of the clinics to, to help them have patients do better, to more scalably treat more patients uh, more effectively, and then also to have economics that support that uh, efficient scaling. So the business model is, is a key aspect of the innovation that we bring. And, and we think it, it really provides an opportunity both to align uh, incentives between payers and ourselves. Our tools need to be used in order for the reimbursement to take place. 16 out of 30 days on a monthly basis, the person has to be using the tool or else it can't be reimbursed, which I think makes sense. It should be used or else it shouldn't be paid for. Also, the clinicians, they need to spend time and supporting the patient and interpreting that data and then you leveraging that data in order to bill for that time. But these are the right incentives. These are the right things you want people to be doing, using the tools and doctors taking the data and leveraging that on behalf of patients. And it all works uh, really well. Uh, this is our business model and, and how we're able to bring this to patients here in the early stages. Another thing I might mention is our, our partnership with Abbott. The Freestyle Libre uh, 2 is a, a great sensor. It's easy to use, very simple, easy to train. Abbott has been a wonderful partner that has allowed us to integrate that with our system. So our pen caps literally uh, talk to the Freestyle Libre like the readers that, that Abbott provides. 
So they've been they've given us an opportunity to really knit together all these pieces in a holistic design that that is easier to use. And just being associated with now the most used in the world, most used in the U.S. and, and fastest growing continuous glucose monitor has been a big benefit uh, to us because they, they, they've been able to help a lot of people. But we can actually extend the amount of help that can be provided and help people do even better. CGM gets you to one place, but CGM plus the support to interpret that data gets people to another place. Really appreciate you taking the time. It was nice to meet you via Zoom. And uh, yeah. yeah. Thank you to everyone else on, on the call listening in. I uh, appreciate helping to set this up. Pleasure to meet you. Have a great day. All right, let us roll on to number two on the New Marcus Newsmakers. Another one by Sean Hooley. That's right. Well, the number two on the list, we've got uh, Abbott, uh, you know, confirming the first implants of their dual chamber leadless pacemaker system. You know, kind of the idea here is you got two, you know, two leadless pacemakers that you, uh, you know, one position in the right ventricle and the other in the right atrium, and they can synchronize and, you know, provide a dual dual chamber leadless pacing. So now these are, you know, it going in people, they're, uh, you know, they're testing them out and we'll, we'll see how, see how it goes. But it's exciting. I mean, Medtronic, I mean, they actually, with their micro technology, um, you know, kind of like, in some cases, we're creating the equivalence of dual chamber pacing just because you have cases where, you know, you actually don't need the pacing on both sides. The, you know, the dual chamber was actually just like doing sensing on, on, on one side. And so they could like use algorithms to kind of like measure what was going on, on the other side and, you know, pr- you know, provide something that was equivalent to it. But this is Abbott just saying like, hey, we're just going to provide pacing on both sides of the, of the heart. That's their Thing that they're you know working on to compete so um yeah we'll see see how this goes but definitely the idea of having like nice little pacemakers inside the heart sounds a lot better than uh you know you know stringing down leads to the heart absolutely so. sean hooley anything to uh to add oh chris kind of covered it i mean it's is I, I recommend everyone reads everything we talk about and write but uh especially this one because there's a picture with it and the photo it's just one of those things where i always am amazed at that those go in the heart, yeah. <laughs> that those little things are, are doing what they're doing type of thing. So that, that's my number one suggestion. But yeah, it's uh, it's really interesting. And hopefully uh, it proves to be, again, a, a step forward in the pacemaking space. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And Abbott seems to be uh, on, a roll, on a roll lately. And we had uh, Santosh Prabhu of uh, their Structural Heart Program on Device Talks Tuesday, this Tuesday. Talk about uh, heart valve delivery systems and uh, folks want to check out. It was a great conversation with him and Stan Rowe of NXT, formerly of PVT. So a uh, good conversation for anyone who wants to get some uh, some high-level tech talk. You can uh, watch it on demand at devicetalks.com. All right. Roll us into number one, Chris Newmarker. This is all you, baby. Chris Newmarker special. Yeah, that's right. This was, uh, you know, this came out early this week. It was, uh, got, a, got a heads up from, uh, you know, Cook, uh, medical media relations thanks a lot that they were doing that they were uh, selling part of their business um and it's yeah eight, a nearly one billion dollar deal uh, 875 million dollars specific but cooper companies is buying a uh, uh, cook medicals uh, reproductive health business and you know this is a uh, you know 158 million dollar a year uh b- business you know they were up 17 percent in constant currency last year uh but uh you know like uh, you know you know, Cook's been in that business for 40 uh, years, but uh, kind of saying that, uh, you know, 
you know, they had a uh, top official at, at Cook Medical saying that, uh, you know, they, uh, you know, they thought that it would be a, a better fit over at, uh, at Cooper Surgical, you know, so, so they're, they're selling off the business. They're saying it's not gonna, they're saying it's not gonna affect jobs because, you know, the, the people at the plants who are making this stuff are still going to be making it for a few more years and they're going to train them to transition to making other things inside Cook, you know, so, but, um, but yeah, nice, uh, nice, uh, nice big M&A deal, M&A deal for the week. Hey folks, Tom here. We'll take one final visit with our sponsor, Acumold. I'm talking with Aaron Johnson of Acumold. Aaron, how does Acumold work with metal device companies? So we talk about, you know, the miniaturization challenges that many med device uh, companies are facing today, you know, minimally uh, invasive technologies, wearables, uh, better patient care, connectivity, all of those technologies are really centered around miniaturization. I tell people all the time that, you know, we've been in the wearable business for almost 40 years supporting the hearing aid market, you know, didn't originally call them wearables, but today that's really what they are and, and doing more than just amplifying sound, but having the Bluetooth connectivity and heart rate monitoring and all sorts of other functionality. Well, you think about that's just one industry, one device, and uh, whether that's in, you, you move that over to uh, blood glucose monitoring or some tr transcatheter stint deployments, there's all sorts of uh, applications in the med device world where miniaturization um, is of high benefit. The smaller you can make it, the better for the patient, um, or you can add more value to it or more connectivity. So it's better for the patient-doctor relationships. And, and really, so much of that centers around miniaturization. Uh, the the Acumold has had the fortune over the last uh, almost four decades supporting the med device industry by helping them shrink their device. Do more in the same space or do more in less is ultimately the challenge. Well, that is great. Thank you, Aaron. And thank you, Acumold, for sponsoring this episode of the Device Talks weekly podcast. Once again, for more information about Acumold, go to its website, www.accu-mold.com. That's Acumold with a dash in between the U and the M. All right, we're back again with Sean Hooley. Sean, you've uh, you've done three big interviews for this episode, so uh, thanks for your terrific contribution. The last one uh, is another one, another company with uh, some great news lately, Sensionics. You spoke with Francine Kaufman. She is the Chief Medical Officer at Sensionics. Tell us a bit about what Sensionics has been uh, up to and what they've uh, what they've accomplished. Yeah, it was interesting. Uh, it was my first time ever speaking with Sensionics, uh, despite them obviously being a big player in CGMs. And I got to talk with uh, the chief medical officer, Frank, Dr. Frank Kaufman, about their ever since CGM, which they are nearing FDA approval. They are expecting it any day now uh, for 180 day wear time, which doubles the platform's previous wear time. Uh, the They had clinical trial data last year that demonstrated that the the ever since 180 day CGM is pretty much the same as the 90 day, but with the extended wear time, obviously, but performs the same and provides the same uh, help in diabetes management. So yeah, they're expecting FDA approval any day, but we talked about that and, and what the company's sort of next moves are and, and perhaps an even longer wear time that's already in the works. So it's uh, they're excited about their future and it was good to hear about that. 
That's great. I know Dr. Kaufman has been uh, in the diabetes space for a long time. She previously worked and led up the program at, at Medtronic. So uh, she has lots of uh, great information and insights to, uh, to bring. So let's hear from Francine Kaufman, Chief Medical Officer at Sensionics. So I am an endocrinologist. I was in academic medicine from the end of the 1970s all the way until 2009, where I was uh, chief of my division at the Children's Hospital at the University of Southern California and had just an opportunity to do a lot of uh, research, both basic as well as clinical in diabetes prevention, diabetes technologies, diabetes therapies understanding some of the epidemiology of diabetes, particularly in children. And then in 2009, I became the chief medical officer at Medtronic to have the opportunity to help them uh, bring forth the first hybrid closed-loop device. So I was there for 10 years, brought out the, the first you know device that uh, met those criteria, saw a couple hundred thousand patients using it, and then had an opportunity to go to Sensionics, which I was very, very interested in as a very innovative, disruptive CGM technology. And one, you know, I think particularly having a tremendous role for a number of patients who don't like wearing transcutaneous devices, don't like inserting devices themselves, and who really need exquisite accuracy, which is what uh, the Eversense system can do. So I've been there for three years, really enjoying it, helping with some of the clinical uh, aspects that they have, obviously looking at data, the clinical trials, helping put forth the submissions we have now for our next generation Eversense device, our E3 system, that in the US will bring from 90 day to 180 day device. And in Europe, we'll take the 180 day and still have a 180 day device, but with significant improvements. So just excited about where we are particularly excited about our continued pipeline and, you know, enjoying being able to uh, interact with people like you who are interested in innovation in the diabetes field. Great. Yeah. Well, it's cool. It's good to know that you kind of covered it all from both the delivery systems at Medtronic to now the the monitoring systems. You know, obviously you mentioned Eversense and, and the 180 day sensor last year was a big year winning CE Mark. And then the company released data on the 180 day sensor that is leading to what we believe FDA clearance soon. So um, I guess if you could just kind of walk me through how big of a year 2021 was and maybe uh, how big you're expecting 2022 to be now. Well, 2021 was an amazing year, um, amazing year that we got so far, all of us in the midst of a global pandemic, which, you know, having been in medicine my entire life, I could not have imagined if somebody would have told me any minute before disappeared, that it could happen, I, I would have never believed it. So I think, you know, it's it's just been remarkable that we've been able to push forward, obviously, with a lot of partners like the FDA, as well as regulatory authorities in Europe, a lot of clinical partners, and obviously with the patient focus in mind. We did have a big year in 2021, you know, certainly got our submission to the FDA and to BSI, our regulatory authority, you know, for CE mark, delayed a little bit. And that approval, like everything's been delayed and, you know, so appreciative of what these agencies have done in being able to bring forth such innovation um, to combat the virus. So, um, you know, we're willing to step aside, as we all have, to be able to get a handle on this pandemic. 
So, but we're waiting. Uh, we, you know, we do think it should be imminent that we will hear. And, you know, very, very excited then to be able to present a 180-day device in the U.S., obviously doubling uh, the duration of the device we have now, having the number of insertion and removal procedures, reducing the calibration frequency after day 21 um, with our new calibration scheme, you know, some ease of use and other innovations that the patient, I, we're sure, will appreciate. And, you know, just excited about being able to maintain that kind of accuracy that we've had in the past as well. So it's, you know, nothing could be greater in on the European front. You know, again, those innovations with reduction in the calibration scheme, um, as well as improvement in some of the user interaction, chemistry improvement, I mean, all kinds of things that we're excited, even though we've had a 180-day product there for, for quite some time. So. Yeah, obviously, everyone is dealing with the delays and everyone seems to understand uh, why with the respiratory bodies. But, um, you know, is the company prepared for the for the rollout immediately once uh, once it receives? Well, we have a great partner with Essentia Diabetes Care. So they are our commercial arm, our marketing arm and uh, very, you know, obviously interactive with them, um, aware of what's going to unroll together in this great partnership that we have and just very excited about, you know, how that will hit the market. No people are interested um, and just ready to be able to give them what they hope for. And could you expand a little bit on the partnership with uh, Essencia and, and what kind of the impact of that partnership has been? It's been a, you know, a great partnership. They bring forth, you know, they had huge presence in the field, as well as that huge experience in marketing and commercialization and enables us at Sensianix to really focus on what we do best. You know, we started as an R&D company. And so we will be responsible for obviously, you know, future innovations of which um, we have a really robust pipeline that will also involve integration as we go forward with other devices. And our clinical trials are done by us, whatever collaborative clinical studies, you know, people are interested in, as well as the regulatory approval. So We'll go back to what we do best and, you know, work with them to really be that commercial arm for us. Great. And uh, you, you mentioned a couple of things, ease of use, things like that. What are some of the main features, along with obviously what the durability situation with 180 days that Sensionics is most excited about with uh, ever since? You know, we do have some improvement in chemistry and some improvements or innovations in the, you know, software as well. So, you know, just as far as setup, I mean, all of it will be easier for the patient, you know, from the time they get the device implanted. And we're also working on improving that. We're working on um, some tools that will enable the clinician who we do train and certify to be able to insert and remove the implantable sensor to innovate in that sphere as well. So, but going forward, just with this launch of the Eversense C3 system with a sensor lasting up to the 180-day mark or six months, you know, the main improvement obviously in the US will be the duration, the accuracy will be maintained, you know, with our SBA sensor. The MARD in our promise study was 8.5%, which is very, very high accuracy. So we're excited about that. And then, you know, just some of the innovation around calibration. So with calibration reduction, which is something we know the patients want as well. So when we do surveys and you know get feedback from patients, because we are very patient-focused, we really do everything with the patient center in our mind. One of the things they continue to ask for is 
longer duration and you know reduction in calibration. So we'll be able to, to deliver on both of those with the E3 system. Great. And you mentioned earlier, you know, you're very excited about your product pipeline. Could you tell me about anything else that's in the works or anything else we might be hearing more about this coming year? Absolutely. So, you know, we're looking to extend to a year. That has been our goal for quite some time. We have some chemistry modifications, actually um, some fundamental changes in the sensing surface itself that we believe and we have early feasibility kind of actually we're maybe in the late visibility stage at this point as to how to get to a 365-day sensor that we believe will also require calibration. I mean, it's hard to imagine you could put something in the body for a year and not have it calibrated, but we think we can get the calibration frequency to once a week, which we also believe the patient will be excited about. You know, for most of the other sensors, they're completely changing out the system, either once a week, every 10 days or every 14 days. So to ask them to do a finger stick for a sensor that could last 365 days, we, you know, really believe, and we have, you know, certainly marketing indications that they will be very happy to do that trade-off. And then once we get there, we're looking to add a battery to the sensor, which will not increase its diameter, but its length marginally increased. And then with the battery, what would be possible is that the transmitter could be taken off. The device could be used as a intermittent scan device with the smartphone or perhaps another device itself. We're looking into it. And then you could scan that device, get the reading, get the backfill, and have something that would be really marketable, we believe, for the type 2 population. Um, on intensive insulin, on perhaps just basal insulin, and likely not on insulin at all. And then, you know, that last a year, you could leave it in place, query it when you need to, leave it when you don't. And then for those who really want real-time readings as well, which we believe is very, very important in the intensively managed patient, they could have the opportunity to take that transmitter off. It's a big event, they're getting married, they're graduating, you know, they're, I don't know, doing whatever they want to do. Um, They want to leave that transmitter off and they can scan it. And when they get back home, they can put the transmitter back on and have real-time reading again. So we're excited that we'll be able to really have an offering that will meet the needs of the spectrum of people with diabetes. Awesome. And, you know, you mentioned earlier, just kind of doing all this in the middle of a global pandemic. It's something I do like to kind of ask people is just, you know, how has this sort of, you know, the past going on two years now, I guess, how has it, you know, changed maybe the way you operate, changed the way you see the diabetes business or anything like that, you know, has, has there been a, a way of stepping out of the pandemic to say we we made it through and we're better for it, I guess? Well, I, I think we're all better for it. I still practice medicine. I still see patients and, you know, having CGM available, getting that real-time data. So forever since it's in the cloud, I can see a patient or they can call me if they've got an issue. I just pull it down. There it is available for me as their, you know, clinical guide or, you know, obviously as their endocrinologist. And so it's really telemedicine has been something, you know, I think is in some ways helped in that in-between time between visits. And, you know, I've obviously done a number of real visits on telemedicine. It's not so bad. And I kind of miss being able to touch the patient, you know, really, you know, connect 
but I can connect this way. So I think we've learned a lot about the capability that we can do, you know, in this kind of setting. A couple of my grandchildren went to kindergarten on Zoom. I'm not sure it's the best venue for kindergarten, but for diabetes care, for healthcare altogether, I think we've learned a lot on how we can be there not only for the visit, but more of the time in between the visits to really enable the patient to manage their diabetes to the optimum. I just think we've all found some inner strength, some collectiveness around this pandemic. Um, Our engineers, many of them have come in to our office, very protected, you know, some using off scheduling so that there's not as many people being exposed with all PPE. We find a lot of inner strength to be able to go forward and to work to make life better for people, particularly those of us in the healthcare arena. Awesome. Well, that, that's all I had as far as questions. I don't know if there was something you thought you were going to touch on or wanted to touch on, but that's it for me. Well, I, I just wanted you know to maybe say that of all the innovations I've seen, so when I started my career, we had urine testing and animal insulin. We had not proven yet in the late 70s that actually managing glucose mattered. That didn't come till 1992 with the conclusion of the DCCT study. So I've seen a lot of innovation. Probably the most important, you know, I wasn't around for the discovery of insulin, but pretty much everything since then were finger sticks themselves. I mean, knowing what the glucose value was was so important. And then I would say the next big leap was CGM. And CGM, having that ability to look at continuous glucose, to see a trend, to understand the direction of change, to get you know, real-time alerts and alarms, has really made a huge difference for patients and in our ability to get them intensively managed. So as we get closer and closer to being able to match insulin delivery with our devices closer to what it is like physiologically, and maybe at some days, you know, some cellular replacement, I still think that we'll need CGM to be sure things are working well, to understand part of our physiology better, and what better device for that in the future, an implantable one that could last a year that you could query when you want to, and when you, you know, don't, you don't have to get that information. So I'm just excited that we'll have something that will be meaningful through this next evolution of how we manage diabetes. Thank you so much for taking the time to chat today. I really appreciate it and looking forward to hopefully reporting on FDA clearance soon and and all that. We are too, Sean. So thank you. Thanks for your time and thanks for the question. All right, well, we'll wrap this episode up right there. Sean Hooley, as the visitor, you get to uh, call the coin toss. Heads or tails? I'm going to go with tails. You win. You want to go first or uh, or second? Whoever gets the toss in the Super Bowl, Rams or Bengals, take note. Tails never fails. Are you doing a prop bet on that one? (laughs) I'm not, but maybe now I will. Um, I'll I'll go first. Uh, You want me to tell people where they can find me? Where can we find you, Sean Hooley? Uh, you can find me on LinkedIn, S-E-A-N-W-H-O-O-L-E-Y, that's Sean Hooley, and then the same name plus W-T-W-H is my Twitter handle, uh, so excellent. find me. We will, they will find you, and uh, they will tag you, and they will find you, Chris Newmarker. Where will they do that? Yeah, Chris Newmarker. You can find me on LinkedIn. You can find me on Twitter at Newmarker, just, spelled just like a Newmarker. 
Excellent. And I am on Twitter at MedTechTom. I'm on LinkedIn, Tom Salemi, S-A-L-E-M-I. And uh, well, a few things. Don't forget, Device Talks Boston is happening on May 10th and 11th. You can uh, save yourself 25% by using the code DTW. That's for Device Talks Weekly. DTW25, and you'll save 25% off whatever rate we have going at the moment. Right now, we're on our early bird rate. So uh, you got to be there or be square. We'll have, uh, we've got a great lineup of uh, keynotes at Minnesota. We'll have Tom Poland of, of BD and Kevin Lobo of Stryker. And of course, in Boston, we'll have Mike Mahoney of Boston Scientific and Shacey Petrovic of Insulet. So it's kind of a continuation of our. Uh, our look at diabetes, I think it was probably the one company we didn't cover in the episode today, but uh, she will be well represented or insulate will be well represented at Device Talks Boston. Finally, really exciting speakers. Yeah, no, it's a great time. The, the, the agenda is uh, taking great shape and we'll have the full agenda up probably in a week and a half. And uh, I think folks will have a great time. Finally, regarding the podcast, please do what do we want to do again, Chris? Like follow subscribe there it is dudes do subscribe or follow on your podcast channels apple amazon etc and of course uh share this podcast episode on your social media channels and make sure you tag sean chris and myself so we can be part of those conversations that's it that's a wrap tune in next week we'll have another great episode of the device talk weekly podcast waiting for you hey stay healthy everybody